As we did about a month ago, it's, it's a season in our church where we're going to have a congregational meeting following the worship service for the purpose of electing uh, deacons. And, uh, and we had a congregational meeting about a month ago for the purpose of electing our elders. And I took the occasion to re review with you the biblical standards for an elder. And I think it just makes sense that we follow that trend and today spend some time on understanding the biblical concept of deacons. And so... Um, for those of you who are visiting, or for some reason, just because you don't know, our church has both elders and deacons. And it feels like one of the more common questions that people ask me is, in your church, in your understanding of Scripture, what's the difference between the office of elder and the office of, of deacon? And sometimes uh, I'll explain what an elder is, and someone will say to me after I get to explain that, oh, we called what you call an elder, we called a deacon in our last church. You see, I think it's possible to have different ideas uh, for what a deacon is. When we talk about elder, right, we talk about an elder, I feel like everyone knows what an elder is. These are, these are the primary shepherds of the church. Elders, they, they need to know the Word of God well. Elders are charged with, with teaching Scripture and, and, and ruling and governing the church and some, some words that we use to describe elder are, you know, we, we, we talk about as teachers, shepherds, overseers, and, and an elder just operates with, with great wisdom. They rule and they oversee the church. And if you remember, uh, maybe you don't know this about our church, but our church has a total of, of 14 elders. And Jim and I, we actually serve Lakeside as, as pastors, and we're referred to the kind of the nerdy insider term for pastors in the Presbyterian world is is teaching elders, right? So we're called teaching elders, but that's just another language for pastors. And we serve um, the church as the primary teachers, and we also sit on uh, the board of elders we call the session. We sit on the session as elders as well. And in addition to Gemini, Lakeside has another 12 active elders, and we call those elders ruling elders, right? They're, they're, they're laymen who are uh, ordained and elected from among the congregation and, and people go, well, what's the difference between a teaching elder and a ruling, ruling elder? Well, one thing that's important to say, because I hear this mistakenly understood often, is that teaching elders like Jim and I, we actually share in the ruling of the church, and ruling elders are actually expected to share in the teaching of the church. So, so teaching elders help rule, ruling elders help teach. Uh, those are the three primary tasks of an elder. They, they shepherd, they, they teach and they rule. And um, last month, I talked about elders for a few reasons. The first reason was so that the church could make a biblical decision as they cast their votes for elder. And the same holds true today. Uh, today, I, I hope that you will be equipped to make a, a biblical decision when you cast your vote for deacons. Um, and the second reason I think we, we teach about deacons is so that, that deacons themselves, those who hold that office, will be reminded of the biblical standards of the office for which they have been called. And so I want to talk about um, deacons today. What is a deacon? Well, if, if you were to ask a hundred churches, you might get a hundred different answers. In some churches, deacons make up the official board, which is kind of a ruling body like our session. Other churches give out the title of deacon to honored or revered members. In some churches, the deacons handle money. In some churches, deacons are actually the ones who set policy there's, there's a lot of different understandings for what a deacon is, but, but what does the Bible say 
that a deacon is. That's the place where we need to start. And it's kind of an interesting conversation. You know, if you were to look at the New Testament, I think most of you understand that it was written not in English, but, but the New Testament was written primarily in Greek, well, full in Greek, actually. And, and look at the words in the original Greek language. When we do that, when we kind of look at those languages, sometimes it can give us insight that we don't find in the English. For instance, the Greek word for elder is presbuteros, right? And we, we talk about this often. That's why we're called Presbyterians, because we're ruled by elders. We have this presbuteros word that means elder. And, and we, we, we take the Greek word presbuteros, and we can just translate it to the English word elder. That's, that's a translation. Well, the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. And when in, in where we take the word presbuteros, and we translate it to mean elder, the word diakonos does not mean deacon. Do you know what it means if you actually translate it to, to what its meaning would be in the English? It means servant, right? What's happening is that instead of, of translating the meaning of the word diakonos, the translators just transliterated it. In other words, they, they, they spelled it out with English characters so that it sounds the same. So, so presbuteros means elder, diakonos means what? Servant, servant, right. Any man who takes the office of deacon must do so because they experience a calling to serve. If you want stature, if you want authority, or, or you want to be a decision maker, that's not the biblical idea of a deacon. Okay? Let me show you the word diakonos in the Bible. Jesus, he, he's at a wedding in Canaan, right? His mother Mary comes up to him and says, Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus' response is like, what does that have to do with me? And, and Mary pretty much ignores Jesus. She's the only person who should do this or can do this, right? And look what happens next, right? Uh, Luke 2.5. We'll put that up there. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You see that? Now, now Mary is talking to the servants at the wedding feast. And the word for those servants who Mary is talking to, what do you think that word is? It's diaconus. The same word for deacon. That has nothing to do, it has nothing to do there with an office in the church. It has nothing to do with ruling. It has nothing to do with leadership. It's a term that refers to servants, and specifically servants that are, that are out there serving food. But the word shows up also as a verb sometimes, uh, and, and it's dakaneo, right? And, and in Luke's gospel, we find Jesus, he's at Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is there, and, and Peter's mother-in-law is, is really sick. Scripture says that she has a high fever. Remember this? And look what happens next. Luke 4, 39. It says this, And he, Jesus, stood over Peter's mother and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and she began to serve them. Immediately, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and Luke's gospel says Peter's mother-in-law begins to deacon them. That's what, I mean, that's basically the way it's used, that she gets up and begins to deacon them. What's she doing? She's serving them. She probably has to do with food. She's probably getting them something to eat. Remember the story of the two sisters, Mary and Martha? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What was Martha doing? She was in the kitchen taking care of business. She was deaconing. Remember, look, look at Luke 1040. It says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving, deaconing. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me uh, to serve alone? Tell her to help me. 
So Martha's getting dinner ready. She's serving everyone else. And, and Martha says to Jesus, tell Mary to come over here and deacon with me. It's the exact same word. Let's look at, we're going to look at one last place, then we're going to get into our main scripture for the day. In Acts chapter 6, the church is exploding in size. And the apostles are proclaiming the works of God. But as the, as the church grows, um, not all who come to the church, not all who come to belief in Christ are, are able-bodied people. The church almost never is full of able-bodied people. Some of the people who are joining the church are, are widows who cannot provide for themselves. And this creates a real challenge for the church to meet those needs. And it, and it, and it creates a fence when, when part of the community thinks that the apostles should do more to serve their widows. There, there, was, there was this tribalism. And the Hellenists thought, how come you're not feeding our widows like you feed the Jewish widows, Right? Look what happens in Acts 6.1. It says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what are they distributing? They're distributing food. Food's the issue. They think their widows are, are not getting bread. And so look what happens. Verse 2, it says this. And the twelve summoned the full number of of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables, to serve tables, right? The, the 12 disciples, apostles are there, they're teaching the word of God, and, and the issue is time management, right? If they start to, if they stop preaching to feed all the widows, you know, that's not what God's called them to do. They don't want to do that. They, they want to go feed tables. So, so, so here's the thing. Look back at, at, at verse 2. It says this. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to diaconeo tables. What was needed in the early church, what, what the apostles needed, were, were some other servants. The apostles were, were working to feed souls, but they needed someone to help feed bellies. And meet the need of, of widows. And so what happened was the apostles called everyone together and they picked seven men. And they laid their hands upon them and, and those seven men were appointed to the role and the office of servant. Or as we transliterate it, deacons. And maybe it would be better if we, listen, I believe this, it might be better if we never transliterated the word. And we just simply translated it, and we had, we had at our church a board of servants. And we elected servants. I, I wonder if we would have as many people willing to be called to the office of servant as we do to the office of deacon. I'd like to think we would. And, and, I, and I think I've made my point on, uh, on the word deacon. What I want to do with our remaining time is look at the qualifications for that office uh, Paul was, was planning a network of churches, and he was trying to help them set up a leadership structure in those churches. So Paul's letter to Titus and his letter in 1 Timothy takes time to teach these churches what church leadership should look like. And, and I want to read with you what Paul tells Timothy about appointing elders and deacons in the church. We're going to be reading together from 1 Timothy 3. 1 through 13. Um, it is our tradition to stand as the scripture is read. I want to invite you to stand now. And before we do, let's, let's pause and have a word of God. Uh, Father, we, we come before you in prayer. 
petitioning your spirit to quicken our hearts that we might rightly understand your word. We thank you for the way which you have revealed yourself to us by it. We thank you for the sufficiency of scripture. May you be honored in your church this morning as we read. And all the church said, amen. Let's read together uh, chapter 3 beginning in the first verse. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Church, the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In that section we just read, kind of the first paragraph of the first bit there, Paul is talking about overseers or elders. And, And we went over that last month. But after Paul gives the qualifications for elders, in verse 8, he moves to address the qualifications of deacons. Look at verse 8 together with me. It says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. He says, he says deacons likewise. This is kind of transition. In other words, in the same way that the elders have standards, those same kind of standards apply for the deacons almost to the letter. And that crushes this idea that there are different requirements morally or spiritually between elders and deacons. Because I'll, I'll talk to people who think that, that well, well, that guy is, is not ready to be an elder, but if you want to make him a deacon where he can grow up, he can learn to love Jesus and the church maybe as a deacon, and then once he's mature as a Christian, he'll be ready to be an elder. But I don't feel like that's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, just like the elders, the deacons have a high standard. It's not a place where you put someone simply because you want them to be more involved in the church. 
Let's explore those standards. And I think you're going to find that the standards for deacons are very similar to the standards for an elder. Look again at verse 8. We're just going to read that scripture again. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Paul starts by talking about the character of a man who is going to be a deacon. And that's the standard, my friends. A deacon must be a man of, of character. Paul says deacons are dignified. They're not crass men. They carry themselves in a respectable manner. Paul says they're not double-tongued. What's it mean to be double-tongued? Maybe they don't speak out of both sides of their mouth, might be the way we say it now. They let their yeses be yeses and their noes be no. They're trustworthy men. They're not gossips. They're not phonies. Their word is their bond. You can trust them. Paul knew, I think, that the work of the deacons, just the nature of their work, would bring them into the the path of, of sensitive and private matters. Deacons are at times called to aid in, in unique struggles of people in the church it, where, where, where the weakness of others is on display. And a, and a deacon needs to understand discretion. A deacon understands how to speak with integrity. And, and, and just like the standard for an elder, Paul said is, is that a deacon is not addicted to much wine. I don't say that they never drink wine. It says they're not addicted to much wine. They shouldn't be a drunk. These are all issues of character. They should be dignified, not a gossip, not a drunk. And the last character trait in, in verse 8 is this. It says, deacons are not greedy for dishonest gain. And I wonder, why do you think that it's especially important for deacons not to be greedy for dishonest gain? Why, why, why is that uniquely important? I, I think it's because... A lot of times in churches, deacons are the ones who handle church finances. They're here, they're, they're passing the plate, they go in the back, they count our tithes. Just, just so you know, like, I'm never around money. It's one of the best parts of my job is that I'm never around money. Like, I don't, I don't count checks. People hand me checks. I'm like, please don't hand me your check. I don't want to see your check. I don't, I don't want to handle cash. Like, like, one time somebody gave me a check, and I probably shouldn't admit to this, but I found it six months later. And, 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 oh, look. Look at that. I, it's, thank you. No, this, this is mine. But, but I did. I found it like six months later in my jacket. Like, you need to keep me away from money. I don't want to be around money. But thankfully, we have these great deacons. They count checks. Um, they do it in groups. They're always very respectable about it. But, but one of the um, standards for a deacon is they're not greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 8 can be summarized by saying deacons are, are there's men of high character, right? And after talking about their character, Paul's going to switch to talk about their faith. Because the Lord has no need for, for high character, low faith guys, right? Deacons are to be of high character and of high faith. Look at verse 9, it says this. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, a mystery is, is something that is hidden, right? When the Bible talks about the mystery of faith, it's talking about the fact that prior to Jesus, no one knew exactly how God was going to save his people. Prior to Jesus, God's people believed that God would save them. Uh, they just didn't know exactly how. They had, they had hints and prophecies but they could not fully understand the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And, and so what, what really he's talking about here is quite simply the gospel. The gospel is the mystery revealed that Christ Jesus came to save his people. They took on flesh and blood and lived a sinless life. That he, that he laid down his life as a ransom for many that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Deacons must hold the gospel with a clear 
conscience. Paul's telling Timothy to, to find men who understand the gospel and find men who live it by faith and, and are living it out in their families. Those are the people. Now look what he says at verse 10. He says this, And let them also be tested first, right? Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So uh, when I read this, I, I find myself with two questions or two thoughts. What is this testing of deacons and what does it mean to be blameless, right? Uh, so let's start with the first one. In what manner do you test someone who is going to be a deacon? Well, for us here at Lakeside, it works like this. We first send out a list of all men who are eligible to be a deacon in the church. And, and so for us, that's you have to have been a member here for at least two years. You have to be at least 30 years old. And, and what the church does there is they respond and they make nominations and those, those top nominated people end up on a ballot. So this year we've got, we've got seven spots for deacons and our bylaws say that we can have double that for candidates. So our, we've got a pretty full ballot. It's got 14 names on it, right? And, uh, and the next thing that happens is that, um, is that the church has a vote and the church, uh, like we will after this, this uh, worship service, we'll, we'll have a church meeting and, and they'll have a vote and the top vote getters will be those who the church feels best about their character and that person's willingness to serve. Next, what we're going to do with those people is we're going we're gonna to take our deacon candidates and we're going to make them study. We make them go home and, and, and work on their skills with the Word of God, their understanding and their knowledge of, of the Scriptures, and eventually they will come before the elders and be examined. And only after they are examined are they ordained. That's what we do for testing them. Uh, what about that word blameless? They're, they're to be tested and found blameless, it says. That's, that's the same actual standard that, that Paul gave for the elders. And once again, the standard for those offices isn't different. The work of an elder is different than that of the work of a deacon, but the elders, you know, they rule and teach. The deacon is, is a leader who serves, but the standard is the same. Here is what it means to be blameless. Paul's going to give us the standard, ready? Beginning in verse 11. He begins to talk about their life. It says, their, their wives likewise must be identified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I think it's important to say here, I don't believe that it's necessary for a deacon to be married, right? But if they are, their wife needs to be a woman of noble character. Paul is beginning to talk about the family life of a deacon. And it's just like with an elder, the idea is that you can learn a lot about someone by watching the way they lead their family. Look at verse 12. It says this, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. You know, last month we addressed in detail what exactly it meant when Paul talks about elders being the husband of one wife. So I'm not going to go into that in as much detail today, but let me say this. Deacons can be single or they can be married. But if a, sing, but if a deacon is single, they should be chaste. And if a deacon is married, they should be a faithful husband who loves their wife in a way that honors her and is devoted to her. But Paul also instructs that deacons must manage their children well. Is that a fair expectation? Well, according to Scripture, it is. This whole, this whole uh, section is about deacons being able to manage their family. And it was the same for elders. 
If a deacon can manage their family well, it's a pretty good indication that he will manage Christ's church well. So in conclusion, let me make a few observations. First, I want to say this, that the Lord calls all of his people to deacon. You understand that? Like, it's not just an office for a few. Actually, the Lord calls all of his people to deacon, and the way that we understand that word is he calls all of you to be servants. Not everyone is called to the office, but everyone is called to serve. You don't have to fill the office of deacon to be someone who serves. And I hope that makes sense. Our church is, we are far too active to expect 17 deacons to do everything. Every member should be serving here. I would now like to speak to the, to the church member today who is preparing to cast a vote for deacon this morning. I want to implore you to vote for men who are servants. I want to implore you to vote for men who are dignified and as far as you can see are blameless in their conduct, knowing that no one is blameless before the Lord, but as far as you can tell, they follow Jesus with effort. Uh, to our current deacons, if you're a deacon this morning, I want to say this to you. You have been ordained, you've been examined, and you've been charged to the office of servant. The rest of the church looks to you to demonstrate what servant leadership looks like. You are to be the lead servants and to demonstrate the way of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. It's in John's gospel that Jesus takes time at the Last Supper to deacon his disciples. He serves them. He acts like a, a servant. He washes their feet. This is the night of his arrest. This is the last opportunity with which Jesus will have before his death to really teach his disciples and to give them something visual to remember. And Jesus serves them by, by washing their feet. John 13, 15 through 17 says this, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Deacons are to demonstrate the way of Jesus. Like, Je like Jesus, deacons lead by serving. Jesus says to the disciples, if, if I can get down and wash your feet, surely a servant is not greater than his master. Blessed are you who know these things and do them. And that goes for all of us. How much more for those who have been elected, installed, and ordained to the office of servant, or as we have transliterated, deacon. Finally, I'll say this. To those who find their names on the ballot this morning, thank you for your willingness to serve. Congratulations on your nomination. It's quite an, an honor that people felt about you, that, that you could be or, or should be called to the office of deacon. But don't forget what the office is about. This office is not about prestige and it's not about authority. It's about the way of Jesus. It's about taking care of widows and orphans and feeding the masses. It's about... It's about being lead servants for a congregation to follow. May God add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of the word this morning. Mm -hmm.